Even during the promotional build to Jonathan Hickman's takeover as the head of X, there was theorizing that Charles Xavier, if that even was our once and future Professor X adorned in his maker-esque cerebral helmet, and the X-Men would be taken on a more sinister, antagonistic role in the Marvel Universe. Through House of X and Powers of Ten, the establishing of Kokoa as a sovereign mutant nation, and now one year into the dawn of X, the question has persisted, are the X-Men villains now? I see this thinking and question pop up with virtually every new episode of Kraken Krakoa, and given this persistence and the degree to which this progression clearly bothers some readers, I think it's worth laying out the case for why readers would think this, and why I ultimately mostly disagree with the assertion, emphasis on mostly. Hey, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald. You are listening to Kraken Krakoa, number 68, a series I started with House of X and Powers of Ten nearly one year ago. If you like the Kraken Krakoa series or Comic Book Herald YouTube channel or in general, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. Spoilers for discussed comics, including really this full year of the Dawn of X, may follow. The X-Men are behaving differently. This doesn't reflect Charles Xavier's dream. We've heard this yelled since the launch. One of the core tenets of X-Men since Jack Kirby and Stan Lee created the franchise in Marvel's 60s Silver Age is that Professor Charles Xavier's dream that mutants and humans can coexist peacefully together is the status quo for X-Men. Over the years, and coalesced across media like the X-Men animated series and the early 2000s Patrick Stewart helmed film franchise, the message has become the ultimate amalgamation of turn the other cheek, love thy neighbor, and I have a dream, right? It's sort of this perfect, beautiful message of Professor X. In Uncanny X-Men number one, then just X-Men, although according to Kirby, he originally wanted to call the team The Mutants, which is a book title I'm still waiting on in the dawn of X, Professor X states his mission as follows. When I was young, normal people feared me, distrusted me. I realized the human race is not yet ready to accept those with extra powers. So I decided to build a haven, a school for X-Men. We learned to use our powers for the benefit of mankind, to help those who would distrust us if they knew of our existence. Not all mutants want to help mankind. Some hate the human race and wish to destroy it. Some feel that the mutants should be the real rulers of Earth. It is our job to protect mankind from those, from the evil mutants. By the time Jonathan Hickman took over the franchise in 2019, this dream had evolved heavily. Krakoa is a nation exclusively for mutant kind, all of mutant kind regardless of their past actions, some of which are particularly heinous. In regards to the new drugs that Krakoa produces and make life for all on the planet significantly better, Professor X says in a speech to all humans in House of X number 6, In the past they would have been a gift, something freely given by me to you because I believed it would create harmony between our two peoples. That was my dream, harmony, but you've taught me a harsh lesson. That dream was a lie. He goes on, We wanted to save you, and we did many times, but in return all you did was stand by while evil men killed our children, over 16 million of them, so there will be no gift for you. You have not earned it. As I can see how this progression might seem like a jump to some, and clearly it spawned plenty of theories that this isn't really Professor X, that this feels at odds with the X-Men of the past is no doubt intentional, and meant to represent the earnest assertion that this is something new, probably the thing I personally crave most in superhero storytelling today. Keep in mind though, it's not like we jumped from the Silver Age idealism of Professor X to the Krakoa era and Professor X admitting his dream was the wrong dream, right? It's not a straight hop. There's a progression through time and through the history of X-Men comics that really builds and generates, you know, story that gets us to this point. Throughout the 2000s in particular, the X-Men franchise have seen the following developments, among many, many others. 16 million mutants were murdered by Cassandra Nova in E is for Extinction in the pages of New X-Men. One million mutants were suddenly depowered in the aftermath of House of M, nearly finalizing mutant extinction and ensuring no new mutants until the appearance of Hope Summers in Messiah Complex. The X-Men, led by Cyclops, formed the island nation of Utopia in an effort to create a new safe haven for all mutants. 
Cyclops and his Phoenix Five straight up took over the world, imbued with the powers of the Phoenix in Avengers vs. X-Men. Many mutants were driven to literal limbo in an effort to escape a worldwide Inhumans virus that would decimate their numbers once again. So, again, when we get to House and Powers and the revelations of Myra X convincing Professor X, over time, mind you, that his beautiful dream means mutants always lose, it's also within the context of everything that's come before, much of it tragic, traumatic, and terrible. Even though this modern legacy of near extinction, the inability to quote-unquote solve mutant prejudice isn't for lack of trying. From 2012 through 2017, Marvel's Uncanny Avengers squad sought to improve human, Avengers, uh, human and mutant relations by combining an Avengers unit full of superpower humans and mutants. Mutants have been saving an ungrateful world every week, even in their darkest moments. This is why House of X number 4 breaks the mold so intentionally, calling attention to most of the known violent acts against mutants throughout Marvel history, and with Professor X so emotionally and resolutely resolving no more. When the context of your existence is prejudice, massacres, and zero progress, how do you keep playing out the same cycles expecting a different result? What good is a dream if you can't build a better one? Looking back to the two sides of Professor X is critical. Specifically in regards to Charles Xavier, there's been a retroactive sainthood applied to the character that is deeply, deeply misguided. Modern stories have certainly painted the professor as more and more ethically compromised, but frankly, this behavior runs a course through his entire history. At this point, I definitely tend to associate the more generous interpretations of Professor X to the cultural osmosis of his on-screen presence instead of his actual appearances in comics. The 2000s for Professor X, for example, are a sequence of revisionist history, revealing he enslaved a sentient artificial intelligence, now known as Danger, sent Third Summer's brother Gabriel and a team mutants to their deaths on a Krakoa rescue mission, uh, he was shot and nearly killed in Messiah Complex, and then actually killed by a Dark Phoenix-possessed Scott Summers in Avengers vs. X-Men. As Kitty Pride says, and say it with me class, Professor Xavier is, and can be, often a jerk. If you're of the mindset that certainly things were better in the Halicon days, and that can't be how you say that, <laughs> of Chris Claremont and collaborators, I'd point you to any variety of actions such as wiping Spider-Man's memory during Secret Wars, threatening to wipe Storm's memory during Secret Wars, literally letting his evil psychic presence break free and try to kill the X-Men, bailing on the team, and especially the New Mutants, to gallivant in space with the Landra time after time, possibly coercing Gabriel Haller to fall in love with him, and they then had their child together, David Haller, being the literal worst dad to that same son, and finishing second in the Silver Age Power Rankings for the Fake Your Own Death Awards to only the one and only Dr. Doom. So yes, I do think the professor's history supports him ending up in this position, especially when you factor in the radical truth of Moira McTaggart. The Moira factor is ultimately the only thing that matters, and given that her lifelines tell the professor she tried it his way multiple times, and they all ended in extermination for mutant kind, of course he'd eventually break and need to try something else. The only real question here is why he waited as long as he did, right? He's given this truth from Moira at a very early stage in, you know, kind of our history of knowing the X-Men and knowing his story, and yet it took until now, it took until House and Powers, until the really the wheels start moving in motion. What are the X-Men's crimes, right? If they're villains, what are their crimes? If we're going to consider the assertion that the mutants of the Marvel Universe are behaving like supervillains, all this background is essential. It's a bit of a straw man argument because it's not an opinion I share, but I believe the thinking is effectively that mutants have not only turned their backs on humanity, but have declared themselves superior to humankind, and at least implicitly deemed humankind and their sentinel Nimrod manufacturing ways the enemy. More than once I've seen readers label the new look franchise mutant supremacists, which certainly is an ideology most commonly associated with Marvel's villains, however nuanced, such as Magneto, or more commonly, Apocalypse, right? It is not something that has typically, you know, been the status quo of the X-Men. There are a couple key, key details that keep the Krakoa-era X-Men from falling into this simple trap, and it's in the nuance that the aggregate collective of all mutant kind, or much of it as it stands, is deliberately not set up as an enemy to humankind. 
First, I think of Scott Summers speaking to Marvel's first Sam family, the absolute center and embodiment of non-mutant power in the Marvel Universe, in House of X number one. Reed and Susan Richards have a chance to question the mutants' move to Krakoa, and the appearances of it all. And Scott replies, All my life I've been told that I was less when I knew that I was more. How long did you think that we were just going to take it? And then, of course, he says that family is waiting for Franklin Richards on Krakoa as well, right? But it's a very powerful sentiment coming from Scott Summers, who, of course, has been embroiled in mutant kind for as long as we've known them. Mutants should not have to be subjugated and harassed due to the fears of small-minded people in order to play by the imagined rules of decency that have never extended to mutants themselves. The idea that mutants should be locked in this endless cycle of persecution and unaccountable violence in order to retain their quote-unquote goodness is increasingly, increasingly flawed, especially as we extend the mutant metaphor. I get the ideal. I quite love the hope of Professor X's early dream. It's a very nice dream, but it wasn't working. So no, storytellers don't have to repeat the same old song and dance and hope for a different outcome. The actual extension of the mutant metaphor as it extends to real-life repressed minorities, and please keep in mind this is a fictional metaphor and it's not my intention to equate the two, is sort of more poignantly right now through a group that says enough is enough, no more. It's not supremacy to want a better, fairer life. It's not supremacy to demand change. Crucially, too, Krakoa is not actually mutant kind fighting back via direct and obvious violence. Magneto details the philosophy most eloquently in X-Men number 4, paraphrase, paraphrase slightly here for brevity since Mags gets super into the soliloquy. We will take the outrageous sums of money you will give us because it also means more wealth for you, and we will buy your banks, we will buy your schools, we will buy your media, we will buy your politicians, and then we will buy you because you have taught us that everything has a price. We will use this influence to make sure the wrong sort of people, and you know who, no longer have any economic power. And that is how it will end, like a fire with no oxygen. There will be no war, right? This is a huge moment for Magneto, who has always sort of been the, the ringleader and the champion of a mutant war as the means to an end, here saying, we found a better way. When you think about the state of Marvel's comparable nation-states, the Inhumans of Adelon, Namor's Atlanteans, even T'Challa's Wakandans, they too keep a distinct geopolitical status that in many ways separates them from the rest of the world. The Inhumans in particular are rarely integrated into actual international politics. There are, of course, exceptions. Have not attempted to integrate through selfless acts of heroism nearly as often as the X-Men, and literally moved to the moon to get away, yet are rarely questioned as outright villains. Naturally, a huge part of this is the X-Men's popularity and status. If House of X taught us you know, anything, it's that literally nothing in Marvel comic books can capture fandom's attention like good, interesting X-Men. Still, mutants of the Krakoa era are simply putting themselves on the same playing field as several other in-universe civilizations. That they're good at the game does not make them villains. The Crimes of Troubling Ethics more specifically, the X-Men's new status as a global superpower has led to a number of decisions ranging from ethically dubious to outright criminal. The first handful that jump to mind include Emma Frost psychically manipulating members of the international voting community to get Krakoa their sovereign status, creation of a mutant CIA and X-Force that both easily throws away Krakoa's kill-no-man law, and under the unregulated direction of Beast, has covertly interfered in a variety of international spy games, and in the case of Terra Verde recently has led to what seemingly is a genocide. They've sentenced Sabretooth to an endless waking imprisonment inside an as-yet-unexplained pit of Krakoa. I don't even think Sabretooth should have escaped justice, but hot damn, that one's pretty tough. The increasing number of times the kill-no-man law has been violated by X-Force, Wolverine, or even twisted by Gorgon. Professor X threatening Reed Richards and wiping his memory without permission in X-Men Fantastic Four number four very recently, right? These are decisions and behaviors that, sure, taken in isolation, you could potentially catalog as villainous. I'm sure there are more, too. Virtually all the crimes, Sabretooth perhaps notwithstanding, can be boiled down to the long-term goal of survival and the messy business of truly running a nation. 
Point to a global superpower that does everything right, and a historian will point you to example after example of compromise, mistakes, and lasting shame. While I don't know that this outright forgives the action, it certainly makes it understandable. It's a lot of compromise, to be sure. I've been saying for a while now in X-Force that Hank McCoy's actions in particular are truly too far gone, to the point that meeting a saber-tooth-like punishment eventually does not seem preposterous. But on the whole, the actions are those of a group playing for the long-term survival of their species. Nothing they've done so far is particularly surprising or so egregious that it doesn't fall within what I'd expect. Again, from they are now a nation. The X-Men are not just a people within America, typically, right? Krakoa is a nation. The illusions of impropriety. Perhaps more so than what we've actually seen in the Hickman era of X-Men so far, the possibility of sinister, of the Mr. Variety and otherwise, action is a tempting rabbit hole. Because we're completely in the dark on Moira and the Professor's plan since the conclusion of Powers of Ten, the possibility and outright teases of a darker truth at the center of Krakoa is unquestionably a credible argument to suspect foul play, right? A lot of people are sensing this dark center, myself included. Moira McTaggart, in her tenth life and scheming for mutant survival based on everything she has learned, is hiding things. She is hiding things from mutants at large, her existence, her powers, and the fact that mutants always lose. She is hiding things from Professor X, as we've seen in her redacted journal entries. And she is hiding things from mutants who don't even know she exists. For example, Mystique and Moira's demands that destiny never be resurrected to avoid precognitive mutants. Given the secrecy, there's a strong possibility that her long-term plan features elements mutant kind would resist. And if this is the case, and there's a darker truth to all of Krakoa, then the actions of the mutant nation are unknowingly blanketing everything that they do, right? They are unknowingly complicit in everything that they might actually stand against. There is also, you know, where we start to get into the allegations that many of the Krakoan mutants are not here of their own free will. There are definitely instances of converts to Krakoa that give me pause. I've talked before about the jump from Jean Grey's call for understanding between mutants and humans in X-Men Red to Jean's place on the Quiet Council in the Dawn of X. Yes, peeling the curtain back, there's the practical matter that writer Tom Taylor was crafting X-Men Red prior to the vision of Hickman's House of X, but on a purely fictional level, the two genes are incongruous. Here's Jean's beautiful philosophy in X-Men Number Red. The X-Men will fight for you anyway, she says to humankind, and then she says to Cassandra Nova, you're always so quick to confuse empathy with weakness. Empathy isn't weakness, it just means we have something bigger than ourselves to fight for, and that makes us dangerous. She's saying this in regards to mutant-human relations. Now factor in the fact that we know Jean has been resurrected at least once via Krakoan resurrection protocols, and the fact that she's suddenly very into her Marvel Girl costume, it's not unreasonable to wonder if alterations could have been made. The very likely possibility that revelations of this nature is where the Dawn of X is heading is the closest I come to thinking the X-Men could tilt full villain. Imagine, for example, that Moira's plan involves sacrificing Earth to the Phalanx in order for mutant kind to ascend and live forever as a part of Cosmic Hive Mind, or even the revelation that Professor X tampered with the resurrected mutants' minds to make them more compliant. A massive bomb drop like this certainly makes the argument more complicated, right? If these revelations come out, it is you know it becomes nearly impossible to say, no, these X-Men are not the villains of this story. Even then, though, we have to consider two things. One, this hasn't actually happened yet, so it's all hypothetical misdeeds. We're a minority reporting the X-Men before they've done the thing. And two, I don't have much expectation that any of this will last, given the very deliberate setup for the Moira switch that can be flipped to reset the whole narrative. Moira's lifelines is arguably the trickiest part of this entire argument because it leaves open a real possibility that everything we're reading about right now in the Dawn of X is deliberately, and I quote, not the real X-Men, which potentially supports the their villains not a real heroes argument. Think about it. The Dawn of X could be the story of how a previous life of Moira's played out. 
who'd say this isn't the setup for Life 6, or it could all be building to that eventual hypothetical Life 11 in which Moira and mutants finally get it right. Either way, it leaves defenses of this particular era on uncertain ground. There's plenty of story left to be told before we get there, probably. But I do think it would be a mistake to build all this with a twist confirming this is mutant kind at an unacceptable level of villainy. I just think that would too egregiously undo so many of the very valid points the Krakoan nation-state is making. I don't know how this is going to shake out, of course, I have no inside information here, but it does seem to me like going, oh, these are the Dark X-Men, would be a very, very uh, tough pill to swallow. I have a lot of confidence, of course, in the storytellers to handle it effectively. To me, my X-Men? I get readers' feelings that the X-Men of this era have changed. For me, that's hugely appealing. No, the team can't really run around caught up in the cycle of superheroics we've seen since 1963, but we've seen that since 1963. Again, shifts in ideas and perspectives are the best thing about modern superheroes, and that's what has me so hooked on Hickman and company's X-Men. So no, I don't think the Krakoa-era X-Men are villains right now, but I'd love to hear your arguments for or against in the comments. Truly, I've seen a lot of people come down on both sides of this argument, on this debate, you know, and, and as strong as your opinion might be, go ahead and share it in the comments, right? I want to hear why. I want to hear the rationale for why you think they are the good guys or now the bad guys, to put it in those very simple um, you know, terms, which obviously there's significantly more nuance in conversations of that nature. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at Comic Book Herald. Uh, supporters of the show and of Comic Book Herald in general can go to patreon.com slash comicbookherald for ways to support the site and to learn more about cool benefits. In particular, I want to give shout-outs to our mysterious benefactors tier. Thanks, Jeff Zacharias, Ron Paul Kirkley, Jesse W., Robert Mickelson, Professor Pride, Steve Brennan, Cole Weathers, and Martin Lopez. Thank you very much for your support of Comic Book Herald. Again, you can find me at comicbookherald.com, at Comic Book Herald anywhere online. Look for the best comics ever and my Marvelous Year podcast for more. So thanks, everybody, so much for listening. And as always, enjoy the comics.